Welcome to This Week in Sustainability. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Okay, it's official. I have it. Davos Dementia. That's the severe impairment or loss of intellectual capacity and personal integration due to the loss of or damage to neurons in the brain. The cause? Endless repetition of hope-filled optimism deflated year after year after year of painfully slow, inadequate change of behavior. I refer, of course, to the words, beautiful words, heartfelt words of corporate leaders offered up at Davos. Uh, And they give us hope each year for the coming of the brave, new, sustainable world, only to see them, the words that is slink out of their private jets and back into business-as-usual grammar mere hours, minutes upon landing in their home offices. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, don't start with that, Mark. You're such a cynic. But I'm not. I'm not. Okay, maybe a bit. But I'm a complete optimist, too. Just one tempered by 30 years of World Economic Forum gab fest. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, Davos. It's a good thing. And I would love, I would love to be there. I mean, who wouldn't? It's 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 a moment in time. It's a moment in the year where extreme capitalists get together and discuss what they think is wrong with the world. Although, on reflection, many more of us might be inclined to pay more attention to Davos if the CEOs talk more about what's wrong with them than what's wrong with the world. It seems many of them want to, says Tim Wu in a recent New York Times piece. Davos seems like a process of joint self-realization, a kind of group therapy for chief executives. Oh, I wish it was. I only wish it was deeper, more public, and professionally guided. Peyote, anyone? Uh, These CEOs, mostly men and mostly white men, they must have some serious Oedipus complexes or something that allows them to invest in fossil fuels while watching koalas burn. Is life that abstract for them? But I digress into cynicism. More optimistically, uh, from afar, if you take a step back, you can actually see that the conversations at Davos, you know, they're really quite radical. They are. But the actions after the Gap Fest, decidedly incremental, uh, which was fine in the 1940s or uh, 1950s. Hell, I thought it was fine when I bought my last internal combustion engine car in 2012, you know, when we thought that we could actually beat this climate thing. Now it seems pretty clear that limiting the damage is about the best we can hope for, even if we get concerted incremental efforts, we're unlikely to get to where we need to go on carbon before irreparable damage is done. The Davos men and a few Davos women have been talking about a makeover of capitalism since around, what, 1989, when the whole existential carbon emission thing was first brought up by Nobel laureate uh, Carlo Rubio. Uh, It's not an easy thing to undertake, said Wu, changing capitalism to something less suicidal. It's fraught and a fragile process. At first, I thought he was talking about the whole white male CEO thing, but he, he wasn't. What he was referring to was that there are terrible guys willing to do bad things, even as good guys and women are creating new and better, more sustainable rules to play by. 
You have to be careful, he suggests. We need to have both carrots and sticks from government and the marketplace to get us through to a sustainable world. Me, I recommend jail time, a lot of jail time for the bad CEOs and the promise of Nirvana on Earth for everyone else, of course, and not just the good CEOs, for everybody. That's the way sustainability rolls. Davos. Kind of like virtue signaling versus koalas burning. What a choice. I guess we have to be honest about what Davos is and what it can accomplish. If you look down the list of the things that it's done or contributed to in a significant way, as I, as I mentioned earlier this week, the only systemic change, and I noticed this after my podcast, the only systemic change talked about in Davos was this thing called disintervention or the simultaneous pullback of government from the economy and the privatization of many things that were once governmental. Now, this was good for a while and it was good for some people, but uh, ultimately, and as I mentioned last week, it sowed the seeds of enormous environmental damage, failing government services, and extreme concentration of wealth. Sure, Davos could be considered ground zero for Perestroika and Gladnos in, in 1987, uh, but now Russia has what Mr. Putin, Mr. Sustainability poster boy himself, not really president for life, really. Uh, and let's not forget women in business. In 2012, 10% of participants at Davos were women. Now it's 25%. Good job. Good job. Uh, that's an annualized growth rate of what? 5%. That's not bad, right? Well, what investor would accept 5% when they could get 10%? Besides, last time I checked, women were a smidge more than half the world's population. Me, I'd love to see what would happen at Davos if the gender balance was reversed. 75% women and 25% men. And of course, the men would have to be fitted with a very painful buzzer that would go off anytime mansplaining erupted from their mouths. Ultimately, I guess we need to take Davos really for what it is, not ground zero for the great ideas that are going to change the world. Davos is a wall. It's a great big wall where business and political leaders get to throw ideas against and see what sticks. I mean, we all sit around and hope for transformative, but ultimately we get incrementalism. Will I am's talentism that he announced uh, during a concert at the Davos? As a replacement for capitalism? Is that going to stick? I don't know, maybe. Prince Charles, he had a 10-point plan to save the world. Will that stick? Made the news cycle. Uh, this year's thing, stakeholder capitalism. Is that going to go anywhere, or is it just another fad as well? That, that's a bit harder to say. The concept does have some broad support, as you know, the Business Roundtable and Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock. And he likes to say that we're shifting to a stakeholder economy. And of course, I really like that he said that. And I liked it last year. I liked when he said it the year before as well. It's kind of hard to get enthused. And I have to say, it's much easier to get mad about Mr. Fink's grand words than it is to be happy about his puny actions. Inadequate. I'll be nice. For, like other financial institutions, BlackRock's words vacillate between serial omission and outright hypocrisy. They, and most of their finance compatriots, still invest in fossil fuels and have been doing so at an alarming rate since the Paris Climate Agreements in 2015. And I'm not sure they or anyone else there at Davos, outside the protesters, of course, go XR, really get what risk really means to shareholders. Uh, 
But to the corporate types, it's something like this. You ready? This is from uh, BlackRock's vice chair, Philip Hildebrand. He said, don't forget climate is already in the prices today, prices of assets. Uh, a risk that has already manifest in flooding, fires, future regulatory change, tax changes, and all these things are going to affect financial asset prices and assets themselves. And uh, we're going to see a much bigger shift in capital than we currently anticipated. That was BlackRock's vice chair, Philip Hildebrand. Now, I'm no riled up hippie activist. Okay, maybe a little bit at heart. And I get it. Davos is a business thing. So they're going to talk about prices and assets and risks and stuff. But didn't Mr. Hildebrand get the memo? What? He didn't even include one proper noun in that sentence. I mean, his boss, after all, Mr. Fink, tells us it's supposed to be about stakeholders. What he was talking about was risk related to profits. And, and what he's telling us that it's all about shareholders. That's shareholder speak. My God, man, 6,000 people lost their lives to climate change this year. Six million more, six million more were displaced. And that's just the start of things. It's going to get worse, far, far worse. To my friends in Vietnam, Chiapas, Bangladesh, Kenya, New Orleans, risk is not about tax regulations and manifest floods. It's personal. It's all species on the planet survival risk time. Put that, Mr. Hildebrand, in your financial risk calculator and see what comes up. No, we, we're not going to be able to transition from a shareholder economy until we realize something. We realize that what we actually have is not a shareholder economy. We have a fodder economy where people and the natural resources are not much more than fodder with which investors make a profit. Now, I'm not against profit. I, I love to make profit too. I got, I got investments. But the fundamental value proposition has to change to put people and nature at the center of the risk equation, not capital. And I'm not sure the Davos men get this. Their language both at and after Davos suggests not. I know U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin didn't when he said Greta should go to school before telling us we're burning the house down. And moreover, Mr. Mnuchin, it would seem, simply cannot imagine the infinite possibilities and opportunities for investments in a non-carbon-based economy. I'm like, how could they? Carbon just suits their interests far too much. Okay, okay. I know I'm making select observations about Davos. And there's been many, many good things going on there, if non-game-changing things. Announcements of programs and activities that really help the world. They're going to help all sorts of people and all sorts of places. And you want to see a great review of it? Check out devx.com, D-E-V-E-X.com. Uh, my friend there, Raj Kumar, they do a great job and they've got a list of things that have been announced that are going to make some impact some places. I'm not a complete cynic, but I'm also not a complete optimist Hmm. It just it just gets me though, you know. That doesn't Davos seem to you like some great big exercise where corporate and political leaders try to figure out uh, how to look really concerned and sound really good while profiting as much as they can by sucking the most out of their carbon assets at the same time figure out how to profit in a future non-carbon economy. Well, that's hardly transformative by definition. And it's demonstrably true. Their view of risk is not being entitled to this actual scenario. 
it's certainly not that I can't pay my mortgage, Mr. Banker, because all my crops died from drought or were drowned underwater, or the uh, kind of risk where, where are we going to sleep tonight, Ma? The roof got blown off the house again, an extreme hurricane. Those are the kinds of risks that people need protection from. It just frightens my socks, too, that the people who are largely responsible for the mess we're in are those that are most likely to profit from cleaning it up, uh, which, by the way, the government or the taxpayers, you and me, will likely pay a big chunk for. So I agree with Salesforce CEO Mark Bernioff, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, this year, and Dutch historian last year, Rutger Bergman, when they said tax the rich, and I would add tax them hard, because if we don't invest in solutions to help all folks and repair our shared global habitat, most of us are going to be swimming for it while a select few watch from bejeweled lifeboats. Finally, the press, the conventional press, pretty predictable. Puff pieces on this and that, good program. That's all good stuff. It's to be expected. I, I call their reporting hope in anecdotes. It almost rhymes, doesn't it? And the sustainability press, I'm afraid not much better. And I'm a bit shocked, really. But then again, we all need sponsors, right? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I get it. I understand it. You're doing a good job. But don't get me wrong. I, I, I appreciate aggressive optimism, even if it's not particularly and always well-placed. But of all the special initiatives, and I tried to, you know, sort of sum them up in my head, announced at Davos, there might be about a billion dollars worth or so, save, you know, the trillion or so that Goldman Sachs announced and, and this kind of stuff. We'll see what happens with those ones. But all told, it's about a billion dollars worth of immediate programs that are going to help to try and transform the world. But, but it's not going to, and the press makes a big deal of it, and I don't get it. So I thank the gods for The Guardian and for other information providers like the Friends of the Earth or World Resource Institute and Greenpeace, whose well-aimed evidence-based assessment of progress on climate, biodiversity, and equality goes straight to the heart of what is wrong, who is responsible, and how to fix it. Oh, Oxfam, shout out to you guys. Awesome stuff. World leaders, business and political, they tell us, are failing us. They are. Gizmos like the Davos uh, Manifesto. The Do No Evil uh, World Economic Forum Guide for Big Corporations, voluntary, non-binding, pretty words, no teeth. Nice enough, but hardly the stuff of the revolution that we need, and hardly more innovative than many of the other non-binding voluntary guides to sustainability that have been around for much longer and have been developed very, very well by a lot of professionals, investment, corporate sustainability types, and that companies kind of just pay attention to when it's convenient. Top companies, says the press, they're seizing the moment. They're not seizing the moment. They're seizing the word. There are no systemic changes, no tipping points on the horizon. Incremental change, maybe some good direction, possibly transformational, hardly. Although I have to say, I am a little bit more optimistic this year than others because there's a confluence of things that are going on in the economy that start to make me feel good. Electric cars. Uh, changing the nature of our cities, like bike paths, for example, uh, solar and wind power, the phasing out of coal. These things make me excited. But as responsible consumers of information, if you're concerned about sustainability, climate change, inequality, loss of biodiversity, you got to know that Davos optimism is expressed in anecdotes, while Davos cynicism is expressed in statistics. Before I leave, I want to give you an example. Optimus. Banks are addressing climate change. 
Santander, for example, allows credit card customers to offset their carbon emissions with its small act of payment. Cynic. Since and despite the 2015 Paris Accords on climate, major commercial banks, including Santander with 18 billion, have poured trillions of dollars into fossil fuels. Optimus. BlackRock announces it will invest $1 trillion in sustainable investment. Goldman Sachs, one upset, $1.1 trillion in sustainable investment, all by 2030. Cynic, by their own quantitative measures, sustainable investment professionals see very little impact from their sustainable investments. Now, I could go on, optimist cynic, optimist cynic. I could go on, but we've only got 10 years to fix this problem. But I will say this, optimists find hope in incrementalism. Cynics look for the much needed transformational change. We're desperate for it. Uh, yet, as always, I have hope. I do, I have hope and I have lots of optimism as I mentioned. For as Greta Thunberg said, nothing, nothing needs to be invented, created, developed, or even imagined to stop climate change reverse the biodiversity crisis or fix inequality other than the will to act. And I know there's a lot of you out there and I and some CEOs out there that have just that, the will to act. It's been another hard week and my Davos dementia is really acting up. Uh, and there's only so much Groundhog Day optimism one can take. So thanks for listening. I'm out. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of This Week in Sustainability. If you want to learn more about how you can bring greater sustainability into your life, check out the sustainablecentury.net where you'll find videos, podcasts, articles, and even a few do-it-yourself projects. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this happier and healthier. Thank you.